We often hear that old phrase, seeing is believing. We might hear it a lot these days. It, it suggests that evidence, proof, justification, all work together somehow to lay a foundation for credibility, or at least we hope so. Seeing is believing. Uh, we mumble it when we hear the promises of a politician. We hear it when we're told improvements are coming on the red line. <laughs> Seeing is believing when it looks like the Chicago Cubs might go to the World Series. <laughs> Sometimes we feel like we need to see the result, the promised end, the activity all completed before we can really believe the promise. But today's gospel challenges that. It turns it on its head. It suggests that first we believe and then we can see. It encourages us to step out, to, to move forward with belief and then to trust that that belief will carry us to the place where we'll see what we need to see. That story we heard just a few minutes ago from the gospel, that story about Bartimaeus, the blind man, meeting Jesus, it takes place as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And so there's a lot of drama as backdrop. And the disciples and perhaps Jesus himself aren't quite sure what Jerusalem will hold, but they know that it's going to be significant. The whole time, all through the Gospels, we can see glimmers of where, where Jesus has been trying to help the disciples see that the kingdom of God is not way out there. It's not up there, but it's in here. Again and again, with stories, with examples, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is in your midst, if you can see it, if you look, if you're awake. Jesus tells the disciples, and he tells us, that we'll, we'll see God one day. But the disciples still keep sort of scratching their heads, trying to understand, trying to make it all fit together in a neat and orderly way, to understand in the way they've always understood what Jesus is saying. I think the disciples here are a little bit like someone who's indoors and looks out the window and they see a rainbow and so they run outside to look at the rainbow but then they decide to get their camera so they go back indoors, they miss the rainbow. The disciples are missing the rainbow over and over again. They're missing what's in front of them because they get distracted with what should be next, with how does this follow in the history of Judaism? How does this line up with what other people are saying? They have trouble seeing what's right there in front of them. There's some biblical irony here as the disciples who so often are blinded by their own ambition, their own expectations, their own sense of who Jesus is. Um, they're the ones so often who are blinded, but then who do they encounter? They encounter Bartimaeus, who is really blind. The gospel writer is probably playing a little joke on us as readers. It's the blind man, the truly blind Bartimaeus, who sees Jesus. He can see Jesus for who Jesus is. 
And notice how Bartimaeus seeks Jesus out. It's by his faith. He can't see him. He can only go forward on faith. And so it's that faith that allows Bartimaeus to cry out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus hears the faith in Bartimaeus's voice. He hears his desperation, his suffering. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus says the obvious, let me see again. And Jesus then says, your faith has made you well. And he sends him off, but Bartimaeus doesn't go anywhere. He's not leaving Jesus. He follows. He sticks close. Of course, we know that healing in our world, healing in our lives, doesn't always happen quite so quickly or clearly. Too many of us, too many we know and love, have wrestled with sickness or broken relationships in a family or or grief, or addiction, or sickness for too, too long. And, and we've prayed just as faithfully as Bartimaeus. And so where's the healing? The healing hasn't come yet. And so what do we do? Well, the people wondered that in Jeremiah's time. They wondered, when was the payoff coming? They had said their prayers. They had waited. They had done the faithful thing. They must have been a little cynical. What evidence did they have that God was truly with them, that God would be with them in the future, that God would take them home, uprooted, robbed of home and livelihood, a people turned into refugees? Why should they listen to these words of Jeremiah? What what should they hear in them? Those who were able to hear were able to hear with faith. It was faith that allowed them to listen and begin to catch a sense of what was ahead. There is a place they were able to to pick up from Jeremiah. There is a place ahead where God is. And Jeremiah was also teaching them as he teaches us that there is a place, there is a, a holy place between Seeing and believing, between believing and seeing. That middle place, that holy place, is a place of faith. In that place, we wrestle with faith. Sure enough, we listen for God and sometimes can't hear a thing. We, we cry and we yell and scream and we fuss with God. But over time, we'll begin to notice, we'll begin to hear little by little a whisper of God, a hint of God's purpose. We'll feel the nudge of God's hand reaching toward us to pull us into some new place. For Bartimaeus, faith made him well. And for us, faith can keep us alive in God, especially when we can't quite see what's ahead, when we can't quite believe, when we can't quite make out what God would have us see. Faith can make us well. Sometimes faith can seem like an empty promise. People can have a variety of reactions to our faith. They might think we're naive. They might think we're uneducated or fixated on a divine parental figure or any number of things. I remember once a few years ago, I was all bedecked as a priest in my black suit and white collar, and I was at Open City, the restaurant down the street. And this... 
20-year-old kid behind the bar said, so are you like a priest in a church? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm like a priest. And, and uh, some days I am a priest. Um, and he said, so what do you do? Like, do you, do, you, do you pray and preach and go visit people and have tea, just like a priest would do years ago? And um, I said, yeah, pretty much. That, that, that and, and a lot more. Um, their reaction was astounding. I think he said something like, oh, cool or neat. Sometimes people just laugh. They laugh at our faith. They laugh at what faith would have us do or have us be. But as scripture shows us, as the psalm so beautifully reminded us, laughter is often the opening to God. It's often the opening for God. Frederick Buechner remembers that old story about Abraham and Sarah when the three angels come to tell them both that Sarah is going to have a a child at the age of 90. The scripture says Abraham falls on his face and laughs. <laughs> L-O-L indeed. And Sarah laughs too. It's the funniest thing she's heard in years. It's so funny that in fact when she gives birth to a son, she names him Isaac, Itzak, Hebrew for Laughter. Beekner points out that faith is surely what the letter to the Hebrews says it is. It, faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But Beekner adds, faith is also about laughter at the outrageousness of God's work in our world. People often laugh when they hear hopes that are born out of faith. I think about the history of this own parish back in 1911 when Father Sterrett decided he was called to build a congregation way over here in Woodley Park. People laughed before they got mad that he was pulling people away from St. Albans. (laughs) Through the Depression, this congregation laughed in its own way through good times and bad times, through the AIDS pandemic, through changing demographics. People laughed and cried, but they kept their faith around the prospects for this congregation. The people here had faith and they attracted more people with faith. And of course, a lot of people laughed a few years ago when we set out to build this edition. After all, it was just after the 2008 recession. We had limited funds, and looking around, we had no heavy-hitting givers, no huge single gifts. But we had a lot of faith, and with God's help and a few minor miracles along the way, we've made it. And most agree that the the addition looks different from what anybody imagined. It's much more beautiful. It's much more helpful. It's much more of God than we imagined. When people hear of my hopes for this parish, they laugh, especially since I'm leaving next month. I have plenty of hopes and prayers for you and for all those who will continue to come here. People laugh. I imagine a full Sunday school 
I imagine a weekday music school. I imagine at some point you'll probably gut the administration building, get rid of all those interior walls and make it a a space that moves around and opens depending on groups and meetings and people who need it. I imagine a dynamic ministry to the interns that live along Connecticut. I imagine maybe a a part-time priest, but not here, but up at UDC, which is in our parish doing campus ministry. I can almost hear the new organ. I know some of you can too. (laughs) Just as it wasn't always easy to stay faithful in the past, it won't be easy in the future. There will be challenges. Of course there will be. New and different priests, some you'll need to educate. New and different parishioners, all kinds of new things, gifts of God coming your way. We all might laugh, but as Beekner reminds us, the reason Abraham and Sarah laughed was that it suddenly dawned on them that the wildest dreams they'd ever had hadn't been half wild enough. The wildest dreams they ever had hadn't been half wild enough. And so we keep laughing. We keep trying to live between seeing and believing and believing and seeing. We, we live and struggle in those places of faith, grateful that they're filled with laughter. Laughter that God is doing amazing things among us. And if we allow our faith to move us forward, we'll come to that final place where we laugh together and laugh loudly and laugh with God into eternity. Thanks be to God for faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.